pass from Havili was magic. The shift on for Crotty. Boom, far down you go, Quaggett Smith. Me, oh my, I have enjoyed that. Yes, boy. Sit back, relax, put your belt on, enjoy the show. Welcome to Season 3, Episode 35 of the Draft Rugby Podcast, where we generally discuss Fantasy Super Rugby, the game they play online in heaven. Check out our platform at draftrugby.com and you can get after us on the socials at Draft Rugby. Now, I'm your host, Kagi, and I'm joined by my fellow podcasters and completely unbiased Aussie rugby diehards, Harry and Nelson, to talk to you tonight about some Bledisloe 1 action. Lads, how are we? Um, a 16-all draw on the weekend. Who the hell would have thunk it? Yeah, look, I mean, that was absolutely massive. Such an entertaining game. I'm still buzzing and we're Tuesday. And I suppose if this buzz wears off in the next day or two, it's just going to be picked back up knowing there's another Bledisloe around the corner this weekend. So, mate, I, I have had 14 patients today, something similar yesterday, and all that I've heard is rugby. So I'm doing pretty well. Sounds oh, yeah. good. Harry, similar story with you, mate? Yeah, absolutely. You know, you, you know, it's been a good game when people are actually talking about the footy. In Super Rugby season, I had to really find my Kiwi patients to talk about any rugby union, whereas I had basically every one of my patients that know me bring it up. I heard 500,000 people in Australia tuned in, which is something like 15 times what the Super Rugby games were getting. I, I care about that as well as that does not include KO. Right. Well, very interestingly, I don't know if you've been following the uh, Who's Getting the Footage, Channel 9, Fox Sports. I mean, that's just pushing for that case for Channel 9 and free to air. How good would that be? But, um, good timing. Yeah, Channel 10 are also fighting for, you know, internationals, the stuff that they've got there. Pretty premature, I think, on Channel 9 at the moment. They're with Stan and they're, they're saying if they do it, that means they would have to go into uh, actually, you know, fighting to build Stan over time. But it is potential there. Very good. Well, I've only just regained my voice back. I lost it about 20 minutes into the game. Um, by the end, I definitely couldn't scream. But let's get into the game. Um, I guess we should preface it by saying, uh, yeah, I've said very unbiased um, fans here. But look, these are from our green and gold glasses. So um, <laughs> please enjoy our commentary. Um, who wants to take us through? Uh, I mean, look, two tries apiece at the end, at the, at the final mm-hmm. whistle. Who wants to kick, kick us off? Look, I'll, I'll just kick us off I suppose um, it was it was an awesome game really really entertaining it was windy Wellington so what else do you expect but there was actually very low kick percentages um, both kickers or well, both main kickers kicked two from five um, but the Wallabies had two from six overall with that final Hodge kick which was I suppose it was probably close to 60 metres out he looked like he could have gone 10 metres further um, it was an inch to the right too far to, to win that one. He reckons he's been losing sleep ever since as well. So he's replaying that over and over in, in his head. There's no serious injuries. Michael Hooper, he looked like he had a pretty big stinger on his shoulder just before the first half, but he came back out and it did not seem to affect his game whatsoever. Uh, Adi Sevilla, if you've seen the player cam on him, he in those final minutes, I think it was the, the 82nd, 83rd minute, when that kick came from Hodge, he was struggling to actually move. He was struggling to walk. I think it might have been a hammy, something like that, you know, pulling him up so he couldn't move and, and extend that leg very well. And then he managed to steal the ball and uh, pass the ball off, which is then that kicked off that that All Blacks, you know, exiting their own 22. 
He's lying on the ground, clearly in agony, tries to stand up, tries to run to get back involved in the play. Ball's probably 40, 50 metres away from him at this point. And you can just see how much pain he is in. And he's just pushing that aside to get up and, and keep fighting for the boys. But the good thing was that there was no serious injuries. I think um, it'll be interesting to see. Oh, look, um, um, you know, obviously I love it. Go on. There you go, sorry. No, it'll, be just, it'll be interesting to see what happens with Artie Sevilla and the balance of that back row next week. I, my gut feeling is they'll leave it the same if he's not injured, but definitely I think they, they enjoyed the punch from Hoskins to Tutu as well. So if Artie's not quite at his best, it might be a good reason for them to try something a little bit different. Um, getting into the crux of the cover. That's right. Getting into the crux of the game, the possession and territory territory were pretty heavily favoured towards the Wallabies. They had 61% of both, and the All Blacks obviously with 39%. And I, I think that really dictated how the game was played. Uh, and it was something that we don't generally see from the Wallabies either, having that uh, ability to hold on to the ball that was much, much improved under Dave Rennie's first game in charge. A couple of the big moments of the game, probably to start with, to try and rack these up. First one... That Rico Ioane step out on the line and lead up to the uh, the All Blacks' first try. Angus Gardner, the Australian, uh, Australian ref, on the touch line, five metres away, staring at his foot. There's a great photo showing it. How he did not at least call to the ref and say, you need to have a double check of that. It's insane to me. For me... For me, I think that that proves a little bit of the issue with, um, you know, refs from the, you know, the, the countries that you're involved in, because I reckon if that's a South African ref, he's more inclined, if he's unsure at that point, to call it. As an Aussie ref, he probably sitting there going, I don't want to look like I'm in favour of Australia. And it probably puts doubt in his mind making a call at that point of time. You know, like, you, you don't want to be look at, looking biased when you're, you know, one of the, the top refs in the world. And I think it can go both ways, you know. Sometimes you can make calls in favour of your country. Sometimes you can make calls against your own country because you don't want to look biased. I think I think there's uh, there's been plenty of calls to disown Angus Gardner uh, in the last couple of days. But... Um, Look, I can get over him um, missing that call, but uh, the TMO, I mean, it was only about, let's say, 30 seconds after the try was scored, less than that, let's say 20, that he put up on the big screen footage of his foot out on the touchline. So it was actually, it was really short footage, this, this but, but I caught it immediately. To me. This raises another question. Yeah. So, you, you know, you say you forget Angus Gardner, but he could have very easily gone up to the ref afterwards and said, hey, mate, that was pretty cool or close back there. Do you reckon you can check it? But there was two tackles and then the try. So it was three phases ago. I think the TMO can yeah. only rule on the last two phases. So I, I reckon that's the reason why the TMO didn't interject. Oh, I'm giving him the yeah, yeah, to make it on, on, on the moment. Also, an interesting there, I'm not sure if the TMO showed that that footage. I don't think he chooses what gets replayed. But for, for me, the, the thing is, if that is in Australia, they are showing that on the big screen again and again and again until the ref sees it. Whereas that's in New Zealand, he got shown the once and they went, oh, shit. And they didn't show it again until the kick had happened. You know, like, that, I, I guess for mine, it's that um, the TMO is sitting there with all the camera angles, right? Like the TMO gets that information immediately. I didn't. I thought perhaps that it was within three phases you're allowed to bring it back, but um, I think you could. Oh, there was two. Two. Yeah. Um, I will say the TMO was actually. I looked up who it was. It was Mike Fraser, who uh, is actually a referee that I, I quite like. One of the. He, I don't know if he does much international footy, but like, um, certainly like does him, the Super Rugby. No, no Mike Fraser. I, I still don't mind Mike Fraser. Right. Okay. Right. <laughs> After <laughs> four, yeah, yeah, right. No, we'll see. Look for mine. I'm sure you're going to get onto it, but. Um, 
I, I have kind of come to peace with it and can, it can be forgiven um, because of the Rico Ioani dropping the ball uh, at half time. Uh, Rico, one of my favorite players. That was one of my favorite things he's ever done uh, as a Wallabies fan. Um, but uh, I actually would have been, I would have been able to accept if they had awarded that try uh, because as far as I know, the rule, the rule regarding that is that um, you don't have to be in control of the ball, just touching the ball and it has to touch the top of a blade of grass. So I, I would have been happy if that that call what if it was awarded a try, so I kind of did, you know I, I just I, I don't like hearing oh, it even down the end, but I kind of felt like it did. Um, uh, you, I, I'm uh, with you on that opinion, one. I, I, think. I, I thought that um, because they'd awarded it a try, you need clear and obvious footage to show that he lost contact with the ball, and I think that frame just wasn't clear and obvious. I'm with you. I thought it was a, an unlucky call for him, but at the same time, I can see why they took it away. So, yeah, call it two line balls either way. Maybe it does even up. I'm, um, yeah. I'm happy. I think that was a 50-50. I think horrible ball security. I thought he dropped it looking at that individual frame, but I could have understood going against it because it was the on-field try. I think with what it should be, it should not be a try. You should have to put the ball on the ground, not potentially be slightly touching it, which is a, a chance of luck and millimetres rather than you actually placing the ball. I don't think he placed the ball. He dropped the ball cold. It was a mistake. You don't deserve a try. But if we're talking about, you know, call for call, how about the, uh, the second try, the Aaron Smith try, when they did the line-out play and they held in James Slipper, who could have definitely put a hand on him and was trying to put a hand on him. And they ran through and ended up scoring off that. It was clear obstruction within one phase. I think that should have been looked at. Mind you, I absolutely love a prop doing that and getting away with it. I am blowing up about it. But I said the exact same thing to our rugby team on a few of our lineouts that do that, hold them in. They're not going to pin you for it. And I think rugby is fine margins. And if you can get away with that, good on you. I think that's a good play. But 100%, that is not a try. He held him in and then and to the try. I think All Blacks rugby is built on that to start with. But yeah. um, even I, can, I think I can even take see through my green and gold vision here. Uh, I don't think Slipper would have got to him. I think the gap was too big. I agree. Um, but it was very reminiscent of, um, of classic All Black plays. The one that uh, sticks to mind for mine is the... Uh, the try they scored to win the 2011 Rugby World Cup where um, it was a line out. They threw it in the middle to Tony Woodcock who split them through the middle. And who, who was on e- either side of that gap that Woodcock ran through? Richie McCaw and Kieran Reid blocking off and holding both the French guys in the line out. Um, so it was very kind of reminiscent of that. But um, I could be jumping ahead a little bit here. I think I, I didn't notice it at all during the game. I think one of you um, brought it up, but uh, someone pointed out James O'Connor's uh, getting on track. His, his play when... Um, Look, he'd already done all the brilliant work, but this, we're talking about Corabetti's try in the corner. And um, as he uh, you know, brought the ball forward, drew in defenders, and then threw it out wide to Corabetti, he got pushed in the back by Rico Ioani and, and kind of used that opportunity in falling to ankle tap Geordie Barrett, who was, uh, I guess, the closest other defender who uh, might have had an opportunity to get across the field to Corabetti and make a difference. I don't know if he would have got there, but um, I thought that was great, those types of little, uh, what do we call it? It's, it's game craft, really. Um, the dark arts, you know, it's, uh, I think he got pushed when he shouldn't have been pushed and got taken out when he could have supported. So, I mean, you took out one Wallaby and one All Black got taken out. For me, that cancels out. 
Mm. Well, before we get back, I'll get Harry to just get us back on track. I was going to say, with back to Rico and dropping the ball, I think, um, look, that certainly won't have done him any favours. You guys know how much I love Rico Iwani, but um, Fozzie, uh, Ian Foster had been talking about how he'd forced himself uh, into the to the All Blacks 13 jersey ahead of Anton Leonard-Brown. And um, that's something that he is typical of his game. He does a lot of that kind of showboating, diving over the line and slamming the ball down hard. So those are the kind of things that really are going to make it difficult to um, select, you know, when you've got... Anton Leonard-Brown, who is the uh, Conrad Smith type, just never makes a mistake, never does anything wrong type bloke in the wings. Um, Rico's and Nani Lamarpe for that matter as well. That mm, absolutely. I feel like you can't play Nani Lamarpe and Rico Ioane in the same starting side as well. But look, we'll worry about that uh, in a couple of days' time when we do the preview. Um, look, the, the other big moments, just quickly touching on them before the extra time, was the Aussie comeback. So, Corabetti's try off that James O'Connor uh, rap ball. I think they played a line out. Jock got outside his opposite man on the wrap and then managed to put Corabetti in just enough space to finish in the corner. And then there was the other one where uh, Dungunu scored in the corner thanks to a Nick White kind of uh, diving flick on a loose ball as well. That was an opportunistic one for me as well. Very nice. I think an important key for me on that that first Corabetti try is uh, Yuani uh, chose to make the wrong decision in the defensive um, pattern. And he, uh, for me, I, I still don't think he's an international outside centre. He made the wrong call there, and that's what led to that space. Yes, it's probably not only on him. I do hope he is 13 next week, and this, this weekend coming, simple enough for me, because they can clearly outsmart him with a very simple uh, backline play there, and, and yeah, he, he got sucked in. I think, yeah. apart from, um, you know, Yuani making the wrong choice, I think we haven't, we haven't given James O'Connor enough credit. I mean, he was absolutely insane in this game um, and just the way he, he got across uh, he just looked so dangerous he drew in all the plays it would have been hard for Rico not to commit um, you know he was cutting some fine lines and he was he was burning some base, some base and getting around them um, it was yeah. huge moving on to some of the st- stats I suppose when you look at the, the differential the di- differences in that uh, possession and territory it's no surprise the Wallabies had 564 run metres to 473 uh, and they had 24 to 21 tackle busts but amazingly they had 10 offloads uh, compared to three there were 10 line breaks each for me this was quite a, quite an interesting attacking game um, there were quite a few leagues out there saying there were a lot of kicks saying that there wasn't too much you know attacking stats but if you compare that to the NRL semifinals in the weekend, you have more line breaks, you have less kicks. I thought this was an awesome game for the conditions. Um, the, the issue with the Wallabies, where they had so much possession, they had so much territory, they just weren't able to convert attacking position, that, that attacking phases in the opposition 22 into actual points. Whereas the All Blacks, it didn't matter where they got the ball. If they entered that 22, they were basically scoring 50% of the time. They were walking away with points. 50% of the time. Yeah, on, on that counter-attack, I mean, Kagi, before we started recording, you were mentioning that you were really frustrated watching with how much better New Zealand were at actually reacting to the drop ball. Australia seemed to actually stop in their tracks a little bit. I think it's something that they've they've been guilty of doing in the past under Checker and, and previous coaches before as well, whereas the All Blacks have made a fine art or a real skill of, of reacting as an entire team straight away. And, uh, you know, on that try, they almost, uh, they almost scored. They had almost their entire team in the attacking line supporting as well. They're just so fast at reacting and the All Blacks, sorry, the Wallabies need to be a lot better there in that space. Absolutely. I, I, think, I think the All Blacks, without question, are the best team in the world at just at reacting and, and uh, unstructured play, you'd have to say. Just, you know, uh, 
Uh, you know, talk about teams training all kinds of scenarios, training with 14 men, training with 13 men. I reckon the All Blacks just run scenarios all day about, uh, all right, ball's knocked on, players have stopped, let's go. So yeah. th- there was one that stood out for mine, but it happened about two or three times, as you were saying, Harry. Um, one towards the end, Pete Samu knocked it on. It's probably about three or four while I'll be standing around him. We all just kind of stood up like, oh, yep, knock on, play's dead. Like, let's, you know, get ready for the scrum. And um, one of the All Blacks just dived on it, picked it up. They started spreading it. And they ended up down the other end of the field. It took took about half the Wallabies team just a few seconds to react. And by that time, the All Blacks were already on the other side of the field. Um, yeah. So just like that urgency of um, if you knock it on, dive on the ball immediately, kick it out or do, just do something. Just shut, kill the play completely because we were made to pay two to three times. And it's just like, that's not good enough. So Yeah. Hmm. Um, another interesting point that I, I found out of this was the, the rate of confrontation. So this is from Rugby Ecology. If you go to Twitter, he does absolutely awesome breakdowns of, of most games. And he actually put all this stuff out for free. Um, this is just awesome insights. Um, I found super interesting for, for this match, but he, he did through Super Rugby as well. But in terms of, of rate of confrontation, that's times that teams carry into contact as a percentage of their ball handling. For the All Blacks, it was 16.83. For the Wallabies, it was 22.52. But the, the key taking for this for me was when the All Blacks entered the attacking zone, so the opposition's 22, they looked for confrontation 40% of the time. So almost half the time they're, they're running directly into contact and they only had two passes per phase, whereas the Wallabies, they only looked for confrontation 18% of the time and were looking to have 5.5 passes per phase. So they were trying to make the ball do the work in space and try to get out wide, where the All Blacks, they, they were looking for one-on-one contacts. They were just trying to be one-on-one. They weren't trying to, to do anything too creative. But I suppose the interesting take there is, a lot of the time they entered that 22 of unstructured phases, as we were saying before. So they, they weren't having to look to create too much in, in that space. But for me, the, the simple thing is you need to be simple in that attacking 22. You don't need to be overly complicated. The Wallabies, you know, we took too many phases at certain occasions through the forwards when we should have been looking out to the backs and on a number of occasions. Although I disagreed with the call, the All Blacks got a penalty for, you know, first on the ball, um, and the Wallabies not letting go. I think some severely wrong calls there. But if, if you're not looking to do too many phases, then you know, you're, you're actually looking to do something creative there, you're probably not going to get caught out as much. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, in defence. I, I think another thing there, um, in terms of, yeah, I'll move on to the, the attack, or the percentage of ball lost in terms of a percentage of, of ball handles. For the Wallabies, they actually lost 40.68% of the ball. So the other options are obviously retaining the ball um, or you know kicking the ball for distance and looking for field position. They actually lost 40% of the ball, whereas the, uh, the All Blacks only lost 25% of the ball. Um, but for the Wallabies, when it came to actual kick variation, they had almost double the kick variations, 36% to the All Blacks 20. So th- I think a lot of that came off Nick White. He did a few bombs, generally contestable bombs. Um, Matt Tamua, I thought at first he was doing some pretty silly kicks in that first half that to me seemed a bit repetitive, but he put a lot of doubt into the All Blacks because there was you know, quite a big variation in, in their kicking. And I think that was a positive thing to see when we look at, you know, checker era that we've just left there was no options for kicking basically it was retain the ball uh, and there was no doubt in the mind of the the defensive team yeah. 
Defensively, uh, the All Blacks attempted 188 tackles and made 87% of them. The Wallabies only won 19 tackles with that heavy weight of possession that they had, but only made 82% of their tackles. So that's a that's a big highlighted problem area for me. I think the All Blacks looked particularly dangerous in that first half whenever the uh, whenever they got their hands on the ball. And I wouldn't have been surprised if we looked at those stats in the first and second half if it got a lot better in the second 40. Um, I think the biggest point from the defence point of view for me was just how aggressively the Wallabies targeted Richie Moanga. I think there was three big occasions where Tamua, Wilson, and at one stage, Paisami, actually two two times Paisami, flew in from very wide to just destroy Richie Moanga just to try and put a bit of pressure on him as the only playmaker in the team. And I, I think it did rattle him a little bit. He didn't seem to want to attack the line nearly as much as he normally would. And that's a great strength of his. So, you know, at times I thought the Wallabies line was a little bit passive and then they switched on moments where they really ramped the pressure up. And I think that was a really, really good tactic from them as well. And uh, and yeah, one other guy that uh, I make special mention of coming out of the line as well, Taniela Tupo as well. His work rate starting, I was not a hundred percent convinced that he was st- he should have started, and uh, and instead thought he might have uh, been better coming off the bench. But he led that line in defence a lot as well. He was very effective. I think th- this for mine was really the highlight of the game. It, what you just spoke about because. They some of the All Blacks are having nightmares after this game. This is the first time in a while where the Wallabies cast the fear of God into a few of them. Richie Moanga was chief among them. You know, Richie, we've 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 never seen some attacking football like the likes of what he's done with the Crusaders. But towards the end of that second half, they had taken a few seconds away from him. They'd taken a few steps and a few seconds. And what I meant by that is. He got the ball and he just wanted to get it out of his hands a lot faster. And it just meant that those passes were going a little bit behind his backs outside him. And it was just depriving them all of those few seconds, which in test footy is everything. And it was massive. They definitely, yeah, they definitely put the fear of God into him. You know, they were, they were hitting him slightly late as long and and not getting penalized, you know, like you're talking slightly late. They they didn't earn any penalties for it. Um, And I honestly think that rattled him a little bit. Yeah. Um, and as a, as a back rower, I think that is an absolutely beautiful thing for you to hit the 10 slightly late, you know, put a bit of doubt in his mind and, and not get penalized for it. I think it was something really good to see. I think Ian Foster came out and said he was a little bit disappointed at that. And that was definitely happening. And that, uh, Richie Mong has a sore shoulder looking at the highlights. <laughs> he could have also, his shoulder could have been sore from getting absolutely bumped off by Dalguna when he ran into him and bumped him off. That messed up his shoulder for sure. I don't know if it was him getting hit late in the chest or the side. I honestly think he was sore in the shoulder from getting bumped off by someone who's running much harder than him. So, so Bowden back into 10 next week? No, okay, we'll get into that in the preview um, <laughs> later in the week. But uh, No, just on that, I know we're taking too long. But Tupo as well, it wasn't just Richie Moanga. He was casting fear into some of the forwards. He was rushing off off the line. He was literally down like a sprinter and just jetted off as soon as Aaron Smith lifted the ball up. And he was putting hits on Artie, on, um, you know, just any of the big balls. Frizzell, it was huge. I loved it. Love it. All right. Well, moving on, let's get to the set piece uh, where we did not do so well. Um, something I still haven't really had a look at was particularly was the scrum uh, where we got dominated a little bit in that. I thought with my boy, Taniela Tupo, uh, up against Joe Moody, who, look, Joe Moody certainly, uh, you know, knows, has some skills in the dark arts, but I thought Tupo would have dismantled him. 
But um, no, we didn't do well in the scrums. So uh, All Blacks won four from four, hundred percent, and the Wallabies four from six, sixty-seven percent. We we that so, Rennie gave him a bit of a rap on that as well. He thought that the scrum was good. I didn't think it was at all. No, uh, yeah, I wasn't sure on that. He, he well, the, the, he did certainly um, say the lineouts needed an improvement, yeah. um, and they did. So All Blacks eighty-seven percent, thirteen from fifteen lineouts, and the Wallabies seventy-seven percent, ten from thirteen. Interesting, interesting thing on the set piece, especially the lineout. You know, it's the first time that hooker and lock combination have played together. That's going to take a little bit of time. They've only had you know a couple of weeks together. I think that will come with a little bit more time. Um, Fangadoon does need to work on his. Line out throwing. It was good to see Matt Phillip. I think he's, they're talking about him loving the line out. He's, he's a, a lock we've been waiting for. See ya, uh, Simmons. We don't need you, mate. But um, it, it was, it's something that I think we'll build over time. For sure. Look, Phillip certainly isn't as good as Simmons in the line out. The one thing in the game Simmons can do is the line out, but that is the yep. only thing he can do. Phillip, sure. he's the lock we've been waiting for. He was just getting through work, big carries, getting meters. Um, it was fantastic. I loved Philip. I thought he was fantastic. Um, he did very well. I agree. And, and look, the only um, other thing I'll say on the lineouts was um, talking about refereeing. My least favorite referee, I think, ever at the moment, Ben Keefe, uh, Ben O'Keefe, rather. Um, he he called. There was a Wallabies lineout. Wasn't straight. Called it. That was fine. Had no problems with it. But about five minutes later, there was an All Blacks lineout, which was just as like not as straight. Probably worse than ours. Didn't say a thing. Didn't say a thing. And they went on and they got down into the uh, into the corner. So. Ben O'Keefe, mate, he's, he's a joke. But um, anyway, let's let's move us on. Talking about the ruck, uh, there's been lots of talk about the Wallabies, you know, not committing enough. If we look at the percentages, the All Blacks won it 94% of the time, their own ball, whereas the Wallabies only won, I mean, 92%, not a big difference. But they just didn't seem to have, you know, the ability to slow down the opposition ruck. Turnovers won, the All Blacks won 12 compared to the Wallabies, six. Uh, and the Wallabies not just gave you know, right? too many penalties away. Yeah, very key moments. I do think some of them are very dubious, especially on the All Blacks line. Two majorly, which we'll um, get to. You know, major game changes were both absolutely bullshit calls on their own line. But that's just the way the cookie cookie crumbles, and and they got away with it because the Wallabies didn't work hard enough in that breakdown, showing that we probably missed guys like uh, David Pocock who actually has a, a, a big impact to securing balls uh, and, and also slowing down opposition ball. All Blacks had far too quick ball. Our, our back row were, was brilliant, I think, in a lot of ways, but really not working hard enough in that breakdown. Um, and I think that's something that may need to change if we, if we want to win these games. Um, yeah, Harry, you want to go on to, to about that next point? Uh, yeah, no, look, it was me highlighting that one. I was just going to say that um, they gave away at least five penalties for just cleaning out past the ball or just diving over it. Um, you know, one or, one or two of them, Aaron Smith was being very clever, did the old dummy like he was going in and could, he attracted someone in to clean him out past the ball. But um, it's just that's a simple penalty to not give. I, I can appreciate more than anyone, it's hard to run in and clean someone out. You know, I lose my, I go past my centre of gravity, I'm diving them every time. I can't stop. Uh, but you know, in that in the professional area, you've got to be able to to figure to call that and figure it out. You know, so um, there's dumb penalties, and that's a real coach killer, just giving away possession there. You got to think it's a bit indicative of the fact that they weren't supporting the ball carrier enough anyway, though, right? So they're coming in late, which means they have to hit the ruck at 100% pace. So they're going past mm-hmm. the ball and losing their feet. Whereas if they're a little bit earlier to the ball, they can kind of steady themselves and have a bit more control going into contact. Yeah, I, yeah. I agree. I agree. Can I ask a quick one as well? Just um, 
With regards to a few of these penalties, we weren't happy with uh, no release, no daylight. If there's two tacklers and they tackle someone at the same time, is there still, you know, do they still deem someone first tackler, someone second they're tackler? They're both tacklers. Simple as they're both That's tacklers. what I mean. So if there's two people tackling someone at the same time, if they choose the second person as a second tackler, they still have to release and give daylight, right? No, yeah. If, if you're touching that player as they hit the ground, you are a tackler. That's what I mean. Simple yeah. as that. You don't have to actually have shoulder on. You don't have to have any impact in the tackle. If you are touching them as they go to ground, mm. you have to clearly release them. But, yeah, the you're one stood the out for mine was uh, Damien McKenzie tackling, getting a pill for tackling Matt Phillip on the five-metre line after a huge break. And Damien McKenzie getting a penalty. The man had never released. He was basically clinging on to Phillip for his dear life he was worried about <laughs> yeah i think that was the, one of the calls i was alluding to earlier yeah, yeah. De- definitely a, a ridiculous one there was also another one on their line um when there was a attacking wallaby in the breakdown so it is a ruck and they ended up coming in after there was a wallaby in the breakdown and take and grabbing the ball and then earning a penalty because it wasn't released which is illegal because it was a ruck <sighs> yeah yeah look um, no. pushing on Pushing on. The referee, uh, just talking about the ref a little bit more, we've touched on a few things already and you can tell that none of us are completely thrilled. I think he did miss things on both sides of the ball, which is even more frustrating because I just don't think he picked much up and he was pretty gun-shy with the whistle in extra time as well. But uh, the bigger moments are the ones that seem to be the ones that were the Wallabies were being missed, whereas kind of middle of the field, Wallabies were getting away with some pretty dubious stuff around the ruck as well, I think. Um, the All Blacks conceded seven penalties, only one of those on attack, whereas the Wallabies conceded 14, eight of those on attack. And I think a few of those were driving past the ruck, like you said, and Taniela Tupo was a fiend for it. Um, the other thing that was frustrating for me was looking at how the referee played advantage. It was, it was really weird. Oh. Uh, the knock-on advantage was basically if the ball came out of the ruck, it was over. Not a clear attacking opportunity, but no such thing as advantage for a knock-on. And uh, and then for the long-arm advantage, at times I'm making 20, 30 metres and getting them into a, a really dominant position and going all the way back just because they hadn't had an opportunity to actually take a shot at goal. Yeah. And then at other times, you know, even when the penalty is 40 metres out, so it's not a really easy kick at goal anyway, the team's chosen to attack, so they should have to actually stand by that. And then at times, the Wallabies were getting a couple that were going quite quickly. So again, O'Keefe just was manage them, managing them differently as the game went on for each team. And it was just those inconsistencies that just become frustrating as a fan. This was the law that I want to look up because I imagine it's a subjective one. Um, but uh, like, you know, I can understand if the long advantage, you can have a 10 phases if they're not moving anywhere. If they're just hitting it up and not really getting past the line, you keep playing the advantage. But if they've gone 20 or 30 metres, that's an advantage. It used to be I mean? like, where, where do you draw the line on it? It used yeah. to be 10 metres, mm. but uh, for a long arm, and it was just like <clears> a good attacking clean ball. Yeah. So once you got a position to actually have a structured attack for a short arm. Yeah. But I, yeah. I know it's not ever interpreted like that. It's the inconsistency that's the problem. It, it, it's basically you have to have a crack at doing something, right? Like if, if you're in space or, or there's a line break or things like that and you've actually had a crack at a play there rather than pick and go a couple times. If you've made 30 metres, you, you, you had a crack. Well, look, I've already trashed Ben O'Keefe. Uh, Paul Williams, I think, look, it, it's certainly hard to referee that game. You don't, I think everyone knows, as a ref, you don't want to be the one deciding a game. And I mean, yeah, as we said, he put the whistle away the last eight minutes. But um, certainly, yeah, I think that what we've touched on is it was inconsistencies. So hopefully that's something we look at for next week. Um, getting on to some of the players. 
the bad, let's we'll start with the bad players. D-Mac thrown in in the uh, final hour. Didn't have a good game. Windy Wellington certainly did not help him. But um, those Nick White box kicks going up, man, he had a tough time uh, getting those back. It, it, I think they worked out fantastic for the Wallabies. We got possession back more more times than we kicked it than, um, than we didn't. Um, D-Mac just couldn't really find a way to inject himself. That tackle on the Corabetti try, it was a fantastic tackle, um, but just couldn't stop him. Uh, what, else, what do we think of D-Mac? I, just, I think he's lost his confidence. Hmm. He doesn't back himself and attack the same way he used to. It didn't matter who, who was in front of him or how set the line was before. He would always back himself to get through and create a break, and he just doesn't do that anymore. Yep, I agree. Yeah, I think he's he, he looks like a shell of himself. You know, he, before it didn't matter how many people in front of him, he still seemed like he had the confidence to break through and score from any position, no matter who was in front of him. He, he had no feeling of that this weekend. He's a real chance of not being my first fantasy pick next year. <laughs> oh, huge! Um, very good. Um, we trashed. We talked about Rico. Uh, he's going to need to pick up his game. Full out for Inga. Yeah, nothing special out of him. Line out was poor. Um, and didn't really, now that I think about it, didn't really see him make any dominant carries, dominant tackles, kind of was just in amongst it, I guess. Nothing nothing in his performance really stood out for me, which is, yep, singling someone out. But um, Obviously, well, the thing that stood out was when he threw that, he went to throw the inside ball off the line out, realised no. that the man was covered, so no. pulled the ball back in and managed to lose it so that the All Blacks could go all the way and basically score. So that's what stood out to me. And I wouldn't say he was in amongst it when he makes one carry. You know, for three meters and made five tackles. Like that is not in amongst it. You know, I'm yeah. very happy to see anyone else have a crack if that's what we're going to see. Bring on the prince that was promised, eh? We had tons of ball, and he made one carry. <laughs> the prince, Nelson. That's what's coming. Prince, let's do it. Mate, I don't care who it is. At least, at least you can back the prince to um to put a hit on. That's one thing I have liked yeah. about Jordan Ulysses. He gets on there and hits someone. That's for sure. So let's let's um, push on to the top yeah. performance. Top performance. I'll I'll take us through the top the first one. Filippo Dangunu. Um, how good? I think when we're leading up to the test season, I thought it might be difficult to pick both Corabidi and Dangunu on the wings. My mind has been changed. Yes, it's one game, but um, God is good. My favourite comment this week was. Uh, Rennie talking about his selections and talking about picking Dalkunu, he just said, mate, he can, uh, he can beat you in a phone booth. So um, couldn't leave him out of the team. <laughs> I thought that was great. He honestly uh, can. So, no, he, look, he was fantastic. 13 runs for 138 metres. Uh, three tackle busts, four line breaks, a try, five of eight tackles. Um, God, he was good. He was everywhere. Just We probably have the two highest work rate wingers in the world. They're into everything. You know what I mean? Particularly those last eight minutes. Corabidi's picking it up off a, off a ruck in the middle of the field. Dungun, I mean, it's just, it's Dungun, as you said, taking those hit-ups, knocking over Richie Moanga. Like, they were into everything. The most energetic wingers that exist. And Nelson, your background for those that aren't watching the uh, the video is uh, Dungunu's player card for as fantasy man of the match for the for the round. You obviously had big raps on him as well, based off of that. Oh mate, I, I think he was absolutely lightning, and, and just his ability to beat the first defender, even when he had absolutely no right to do so. His energy levels were amazing. Uh, you. you I suppose we've all gone towards the the Kiwi idea that you need, you know, two fullbacks and a, a genuine finisher. This was the first time we've had two genuine finishers, and our fullback is a finisher as well. You know, completely different that from something we've seen. You know, from Southern Hemisphere rugby, especially Australia, and, and it was awesome. I, I can't wait to see more of it. 
And also just his combination with Harry Wilson, those two times they got loose on the sideline and Harry drew him in, passed it out to Duncan. It was just unreal. So um, how good. All right, other great players. Uh, I'll just quickly pop it. Nick White uh, had an absolute ripper as well. Just composed that. that uh, it was talked about a lot, that 9, 10, 12 um, experience kind of pairing. Um, and they just absolutely steered the ship for the Wallabies. Um, White was epic. 14 runs of 56 metres, just really keeping them honest around the breakdown with those little darts of his. Five tackle busts, a line break, three offloads, try assists, six of eight tackles. He had an unreal game. He's just he's grown on me uh, every week. Um, Hoops led from the front, uh, 19 of 22 tackles, um, one turnover he caused. As we said, he looked a little bit like he was rocked in the first half, but we've said many times the man's built of titanium. He can't get injured. Um, and look, before I, I'll let someone go through the um, the Kiwi top players, uh, I, for mine, the Kiwi man of the match was Sam Kane, um, who perhaps Harry and Nelson have suggested in the past is should not have been the All Blacks captain and is uh, not the quite the quality player that he is. But mate, for mine, he was, he quality, was right? unbelievable. <laughs> he was into everything. And, and, and do you know what we're talking about when we said he smashes people, mate? He was smashing people left, right, and centre that game. Yeah, look, he actually made 25 tackles from 25. Absolute behemoth effort from him. Definitely a, a leadership sort of uh, match for him. But it still doesn't mean I think he's the, the best flanker in New Zealand. But he's definitely absolute class. That they would have won by 30 if they picked Lachlan Beauchere at seven. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, he, look, he, he was absolutely brilliant that game. You definitely can't take it away from him. That was the try scorer they were missing, Lachlan Boshier, you're right. Exactly. Now, look, Sam Kane as well, He, um, I think he outplayed Hooper, to be fair to him. He played very well. Yeah, uh, I agree. Artie nine runs for 45 metres, five tackle busts, an offload, seven of his nine tackles and a couple of turnovers as well. So a true number eight game there. Didn't have quite the same work rating defence as he has at times. And Caleb Clark, yeah, he only played 16 minutes, but man, was he effective. And he looks even bigger. He gets bigger every time I see him. He grew 20%, I yeah. swear to God. Ridiculous. Four yeah. runs for 56 metres, four tackle busts, an offload, a turnover, uh, and there was a big turnover in their own line as well. So just a huge debut from him too. So He's the player who I least like to run at me uh, on that field, for sure. It, honestly, it was Lomu-esque. Every time he touched, touched the ball, I got horrified at the back end of that game. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Nels, do you want to take us through... This ridiculous extra time that went yeah, on. Look, I, I think by ever, everyone's probably heard about it from now. Reese Hodge kicked it from 60 metres out. He probably could have gone 10 metres further, but needed it an inch to the left. It was awesome to see Hooper and Dalgunu, the two, rushing up to get that ball off that kick when it hit the post. Um, Tuvo Via, the, the Wallabies actually earned that ball back um, off a knock on from Caleb Clark. But Tuvo Via, he just came absolutely in from the side. He was off his feet. He was playing the ball in the ruck and that penalty did not get called. And I think a lot of Aussies saw that and have pointed that out. You know, that should have been uh, basically a distance for any of the Wallabies to throw the ball over the, the crossbar. They were that close and that should have been the win. I, I do no, think... I, I just wanted to give a shout out to... Um, when, when Hodge kicked that, it bounced off the post... I think the All Blacks did incredibly well to... It touched someone and it was a knock-on. Yeah, and then another player had the presence of mind to not pick it up because he was in front of them and that would have been yeah. a penalty. I thought that was epic. And that's that was, why the Wallabies uh, were able to get the ball back. But that was unbelievable from them. 
Yeah, that's, that just shows you it's, it's instinct for guys like that, right? I mean, they didn't have to think about that. They knew they were offside. I do think Australia potentially took Aaron Smith out at that point there as well when he wasn't involved in the breakdown. So maybe that could have gone against the Wallabies, but it was a bit of a rush rush sort of move there. But I think the, the penalty could have gone against the All Blacks. But then the All Blacks got the ball back off that work of Artie Sevilla. And boy... They were just keen to have a crack. It didn't matter that they were in their own 22. I'm super happy that um, James O'Connor decided to kick that ball out. I think that's <laughs> that's what we needed. The, the Wallabies, a, a draw is massive for us there because if we won that or lost that, we still needed two wins in the coming weeks. So I'm happy with that result as a, as a Wallaby fan. I think yeah, definitely. And as Nelson said, um, it's a four but a slow series, right? So... Either way, we need to win two games and stop New Zealand from winning two. So a win's better, but we still would have needed either two more wins or a win and a draw. And let's let's be honest, the likelihood of a draw happening again is pretty low. So all in all, in all I think a win for the Wallabies in the scheme of the Bledisloe Cup race at the moment. Let's just hope they can keep showing up. And the other big point on the extra time as well was just the uh, the, no, the lack of a drop goal. And, you know, they, some are saying that it's a, a arrogance from the All Blacks. I don't buy no. that. I think it was windy conditions. It was rainy conditions. Wet. You don't know how the ball is going to bounce. Eight, yeah. eight minutes in at the time, the entire All Blacks team were off their feet. I just think it was too hard at that time. And uh, it was a great extra time. And, geez, the All Blacks got close to taking it off us. So I was uh, hard in mouth kind of stuff. I think both, both all of us were saying, uh, I mean, I was close to suffering several strokes in those last eight minutes. Um, <laughs> just couldn't believe how it kept going on and on. Um, I actually had uh, hair before that extra time. <laughs> um, and Corabiti, I mean, he saved us there at the end. Uh, you know, how, how good. When they got that ball and they were starting to spread it wide, you thought, oh, here it is. They're going in in the corner. But um, yeah. thank God, that, that's the type of urgency required. I think I talked about how... Um, Sometimes with drop ball and things like that, the Wallabies don't have that urgency. Players who do always have that urgency is Corabetti and Dungunu. So Corabetti to save the day on defense as well. It was fantastic. But, um, yeah. And I think it's huge. I think you're right. I think we can chalk that up as a win. I think at the end of the day, I can't believe we're saying um, after Bledisloe won 2020 that the Wallabies looked the better team. Uh, I think everyone would agree the Wallabies were the better team on the day. Uh, and that's uh, I think... Yeah, look, I, I, there's been talk about the, the All Blacks have lost the aura, and I think that's a bit rough. But look, that, that team looked beatable. And one of the reasons I think that team looked beatable is there are people, you know, players playing out of their position. If you have the best in-form All Blacks playing in their position, I don't care if you're picking Mwanga over Barrett, you're picking Barrett over Mwanga. You know, you're put, picking people in their position. The All Blacks are a different team. They they didn't have the cohesion that they should have had for this match. People out of position, people, you know, getting a crack that, you know, seemed a little bit out of it, to provide off the bench, that sort of stuff. These All Blacks are playing at Eden Park. They don't grow an extra leg. They grow an extra two legs. Um, I think this is going to be the, the toughest test, you know, for this short-term future of the Wallabies. Um, in in fact, in the last three times that we have beaten them or drawn with them or, or something along those lines, and we've played at Eden Park, they have whooped us by an average of 31 points at Eden Park. Yeah, the following let's uh, let's not go anymore, Nelson. That's spoilers for the uh, the preview podcast. So yeah. why don't we leave it there, fellas, and we'll uh, we'll try and get back in a couple of nights when we've got some lineups. Sounds That's good. it. I think.
we were look. We normally talk fantasy rugby. We were just that excited about inter- about Test rugby that um, we thought we'd jump on and get into it. Um, we'll hopefully we're even more excited next week, but we'll see. Um, uh, stay tuned for a, a preview in uh, a day or two, and um, we'll talk to you then. Thank you, Jagunu. PM. See you later.